Shalom, and welcome to Discipleship Discussion Podcast, the show where we discuss discipleship to Messiah Yeshua, how that informs our choices and actions in everyday life. My name is Ben Frosted, and with me today are Chris Stevens and David Johnson. And today, we're going to continue our conversation from our last episode about stewarding kingdom resources. So, just a brief recap of where we were last time. Uh, We made the controversial statement that money is spiritual, right? That this is not something that is just like secular and separate from our spiritual life, but that this is actually something that affects us and that is important to talk about in spiritual contexts. So we talked about two extremes regarding money. One extreme is prosperity gospel, right? The idea that if you're always, you know, if you're following God and you're doing things right, then you'll always be healthy and wealthy and and that sort of thing. The other extreme would maybe be what we might call poverty gospel, which is like the idea that money is evil, inherently evil, and the idea that, you know, money is something we need to avoid, right? I heard someone share a story one time about three people who were talking about their shirts. The first guy said, hey, I got this shirt for five bucks. The next guy says, five bucks, I got my shirt at the thrift store for two bucks. The last guy's standing there and he says, two bucks? I got my shirt out of the garbage can behind the store for free. And uh, it always stood out to me, just the the idea that sometimes we can be overly focused on frugality and sometimes read our own spirituality into being cheap. And it's definitely not the extreme we want to go to, as well as what you're saying on the other side, um, splurging and finding finding some kind of fulfillment in that. Yeah. Because, yeah, the other side would be gaining status through, like, having brand name shirts and that sort of thing. That'd be kind of like the opposite of your story. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So, like we said last time, the idea that if you're doing everything right, that you'll never have financial trouble and you'll be healthy and wealthy, you know, that idea is wrong. And just look at history. Just look at... um, you know, all the believers, godly believers throughout history who have not been wealthy or have had, you know, gone through hard times. Look even at Yeshua, right? And and his life. But at the same time, right? And, and this is the point that we're trying to bring home, I think, in these two episodes, is that we're called to be good stewards of the resources that God entrusts in our care. And that's not, it's not just money, Right? There's 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 more than money involved here. Our time is also a resource that God has given us that we are called upon to steward for his kingdom. But but our money, it's a big one because ultimately it's not ours. Ultimately, it all belongs to him and we're just stewarding it, right? He can give and he can take away as he sees fit. And, and so, you know, not all of us are going to be rolling in dough rich. You know, God gives a different responsibility to different people, but we are called upon to steward what he has given to us. Absolutely. Well, just an example of that in just in in my life is in our business, we're in a very service orientated business. And so from from day to day, my workload completely fluctuates and 
it's one of those things where it's taught me to rely on God because one day I'll be like, God, is there going to be work today? Do I have, am I going to be able to pay my bills? And then the next day it's, how am I going to get all this work done? And he's just taught me over the years, continuously over and over again, that he works it out. It's, it's his business. He's going to work it out. And I just need to be faithful and trust and walk <laughs> and, and do the best that I can. Like there's no way that I can slack off. Right. But ultimately it's his and he's going to do with it what he sees fit. Yep. Um, it's, you know, that principle that a colleague of my grandfather's said is don't ask God to anoint your second best. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, ultimately we're relying on God, but we still need to do our best. Acknowledging that our best is not enough. We still need God, right? Absolutely. But but we do our best and we look to him to take care of the rest, right? So, so yeah, this idea that God is the one that actually like owns everything I have, right? My money, my possessions, my family members, like it all belongs to him. And and realizing that God is the one who actually owns my money is both liberating and sobering, I think, right? It, it's liberating because it means that ultimately the, the results are up to him, right? Like, like ultimately it's his to give and take away as he sees fit. You know, if, if something happens in my life where my money gets taken away, it's not my fault, right? That, that God is the one who's in control. But at the same time, it's sobering because it means it's not mine to just be frivolous with, right? That money doesn't belong to me. I'm just stewarding it. So I think that's an important attitude to keep in mind. Absolutely. Like in, investing it and and using it for, for kingdom purposes. You know, like Yeshua right. says, don't don't hoard it up where, where moth and rust can destroy it, right? And at the same time, you, you need to be, he says, you know, use worldly wealth to gain friends and and um you know pursue the kingdom and be giving to the poor and all those sorts of things that are right you know going to be investing and and moving the kingdom purposes forward yep and and we're called upon to provide for our family right absolutely um yep. first timothy 5 8 <laughs> if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives especially the members of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever those are strong words. But yeah, the point in all this is that money is a topic that is important for us to talk about and realizing that we need to uh, be good stewards. And and in this episode, we're like, we're raising the discussion on this stuff. We're not like coming as experts with all the answers or anything like that. But there's five principles that I'd like to look at here. And I'd like us to talk about uh, five principles regarding stewarding kingdom resources. So principle number one is budget. Number two, avoiding debt. Number three, give. Number four, save. And number five, live within your means. So we're going to take some time to unpack each one of those. So let's start off with number one, budgeting. It's a big topic. Um, <laughs> it's something that I think is very, very important and 
One is just, it gives you basic information. This is where my money went. Right. So there's never a question of, you know, where did my money go? You can you can look and record and say, hey, this is this is where the money went. I think it helps you in decision making because you, once you have a black and white copy of, hey, this is where the money went, especially when you're trying to balance things, it allows you to make those adjustments and not just say, well, I don't know where it happened. I don't know where that went, right? And, um, and then that in turn brings accountability and transparency. I, I know in a marriage, in my marriage, this has been huge because we both work on the budget and we both know where where the money is going. And so if there's a big purchase, we both have to discuss it. And there's there's really no room for saying, well, I didn't know about that. Like It, it brings yeah. a lot of accountability and transparency and just being on the same team. It's really good. In the last episode, we were talking about finances and resources. And I had mentioned the app called Mint. Mm-hmm. It's been a real help to my family just in budgeting, planning ahead for where finances will go and tracking what is being spent. Um, it's made by a company called Intuit and the app is called Mint. But it's great because it can work across all your devices. It's free. It can be connected to credit cards and bank accounts. And it's really handy because it'll look at your last three months of spending as well and create budgets in each category. Then you can adjust them as well. So really intuitive and helpful because it's easy to try a lot of different methods. And depending what family or individual or personality, it's kind of hard to always know what is going to work for me, what is going to work for my family. So I encourage others to ask around, see what other people are doing. doesn't hurt to get uh, get ideas from others and ask parents, ask people who have been ahead of us. That helps a lot as well. Yeah, definitely. I know when my wife and I started shortly after we were married and we started to want to get serious about budgeting, we started using the envelope system. So basically every category that we wanted to budget, we would have an envelope with that name on it. And at the beginning of the month, we would take our money as cash and put it, distribute it between all those different envelopes. And that's what we had to spend for the month. And we don't do that exact system anymore. Uh, We kind of have a variety of things that we do but but I think uh, I feel like for us at least it was really good to go through that practice of because it really forced us to be very aware of where our money was going right and and something about paying for things with cash makes you realize how much you're actually spending a lot more than just it's harder to part with cash isn't it it is yeah you're like hey this is real money i don't want to give it away i don't want to spend it (laughs) yeah and there is (laughs) there is actually a psychological thing where the faster you're able to process a payment the less you notice it going out of your wallet or your bank account or whatever and that's why companies are pushing towards making it easier and more and more convenient to pay you know tap and go or now you can use your phone and like, you don't even have to take your wallet out. So, Ben, tell me, do you not use tap on your debit card? <laughs> we do. Yeah, we do okay, sometimes. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a sin to use tap on your on your credit card or debit card or whatever you have. 
Let it be written. Yeah, the, on, the envelope system is a great idea, too. And I remember doing that when I was a kid. I remember one envelope said candy. And I remember I had pictures on the envelope of candy. And I think I put a good deal of money in there. And I don't have that much in my budget for candy anymore. <laughs> but I think overall, just the principle of planning and keeping track of records. Like, I mean, we see this as a Torah principle, right? The idea of... You look at the account of the tabernacle, uh, like in the Torah portion Pekudei, where it's talking, it's giving an account of all the materials that were used and the weight and what they were put to and stuff like that. And it's like, it, it seems like the Bible puts a value on keeping a record and an account of things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so there's, yeah, there's this principle of just being good stewards, that you're able to give an account for what you've done. So that's all about budgeting. Let's talk about principle number two, uh, which is avoiding debt. I want to start off just by reading some statistics on debt. And these are uh, as of 2017. So I know that's a little bit last year, but <laughs> it's pretty up to date. So consumer debt in the United States reached over $3.8 in November 2017. It hit a record. That and, and that figure does not include home mortgages. So they're talking about uh, credit card debt and loans, right? Are, are vehicles included in that? Vehicles are okay. included, yeah. So that's almost uh, $30,000 per household, right? $30,000 of debt per household. 26.7% of that is credit card debt, meaning that the average household has almost $8,000 in credit card debt. About two in five Americans who have ever had credit card debt, that's so 41%, reported that spending more than they could afford on unnecessary purchases contributed to them going into credit card debt. In other words, this is not like because an emergency came up, a medical bill, or, or you know something like that. This is just I can uh, I can purchase it, so therefore I can afford it. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that kind of idea. Even though they couldn't afford it. Yes. <laughs> so, and then last one: the average U.S. household with revolving credit card debt, mean meaning that they're not paying it off every month, right? So the average U.S. household carried a balance of. $6,081 as of June 2017. Assuming an interest rate of 14.87%, which is the current average, that balance would incur $904 in interest per year. So in other words, that's almost $1,000 just going down the drain every year. For sure. Ben, I heard someone telling a story a while back about growing up, and they said that their parents called credit cards free money cards, and who knows, maybe they were doing it humorously, but the child actually grew up with this subconscious assumption that that was just free money, like, you just put money on this thing, and I don't remember how many thousands of dollars they ended up being in the hole and wow. being in debt, but it happens really quickly, and if you're not careful and watching out for it, it's easy to get trapped in it. It is, yeah. And I just don't think a lot of people are we don't do a really good job of educating our kids about what a credit card actually is or the dangers that it holds. 
Right. Um, because yeah, it's, it's like you said, with those quick transactions, it's really, really easy to all of a sudden spend a lot of money and, and not even really understand the whole idea of compound interest or, you know, I, I heard a story from a, from a guy that thought that the, the minimum payment, he thought that was the payment and he just had to pay off the principal. Right. So he's like, oh, I spent this much money divided by this many months, this payment, then I'll be out of debt. And then all of a sudden he was paying it for a year and then got a call and he's like, oh, you know, I paid off this much. And they're like, oh, no, no, you've only paid off like a fraction of that because the rest of it was all interest. And he didn't realize that that's what was actually happening. Right. And uh, yeah, it took. It's, it's a scary thing that you can get in in a real hurry. Yeah. Yeah. And just the burden of carrying that extra debt and having to pay that much interest every year mm-hmm. puts a big strain on your on your finances, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think if we're looking at like the biblical example, I think it's pretty easy to demonstrate that debt is considered a bad thing mm-hmm. in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? But there's a there's a difference between a bad thing and a sin, though. Right. right. Like, I, I think it where the Bible is trying to keep us safe because debt creates a a master servant relationship. And he wants to keep us out of that because right. as, as soon as you get into that relationship, it, it changes any dynamics that you had with anybody that you owe money to. All mm-hmm. of a sudden it totally changes it. Yeah, it says, and, it says that in Proverbs, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Absolutely, right? And that, I think it's just, um, yeah, getting into debt. Well, anybody that's gotten to debt knows the anxiety <laughs> and mm-hmm. and just the um, the weight that carrying debt come, that it comes with it. Right. And and so, yeah, I, I totally agree that it's, I, I would never say that it's a sin. And obviously, you know, the... The Bible uh, is written with real people in mind, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at the Torah and the economy that's described in the Torah, and there is, you know, there are poor people, right? Yeah. It says in the Torah that you will always have the poor among you. And the harsh reality of life is that sometimes stuff happens, right? Sometimes there are legitimate emergencies that come up, and and sometimes we do go into debt, and ultimately, we need to be able to trust God in the midst of things that happen in our lives and have our peace in him, not in our financial situation or how much is in our bank account. But there is, as we just saw in these statistics, there is that 41% of people that end up in consumer debt without any sort of emergency being the primary cause of it. Mm-hmm. So that's where this principle and what we're just talking about, about budgeting, go hand in hand, right? Because if we're budgeting properly, we're able to see what can we afford, what can't we afford, right? Is this actually within my budget to be able to to afford right now? Yeah, and Ben, maybe the idea of delayed gratification is really important to keep in mind as well. Especially for younger people, it's easier to see the thing on the shelf or feel like the salesman is really on my side. He really wants to help me get what I want. But just realizing sometimes I need to wait a year, save up, put cash down for a car, 
and it's harder to do. You want the car right now, right. but the payments really add up and it becomes a burden. And sometimes you look back a year later and wish that you just waited. Sometimes it's a hard call to make, but delaying the gratification can sometimes pay off bigger in the end. Right. And sometimes it is good to just be wary of salespeople who are saying they're on your side, saying, you know, I've got a great plan for you. You can have what you want now. I'm just saying, hey, I actually think you want money out of me, so I'm just going to wait and think on this. <laughs> if a salesperson says they love you and have a wonderful plan for your life, you know they've got a vested interest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what do we do with debt then? If, if we've gotten ourselves into debt there's a lot of plans that are out there to help you with that right um you know one that i've definitely listened to dave ramsey um talks a lot about it and and he he uses an expression that i think is is pretty um pretty cool he calls it gazelle intense about getting out of debt mm. and then if like if you if I, I, i'm assuming he's bringing it out of proverbs 6 where it talks about you know free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter or from a bird from the from the snare of the fowler you know like just getting out of debt and doing whatever you need to do to get out of debt and i think there's a there's a real freedom there um and i think like what we're talking about with the consumer debt and things like that that's i think it's easy to to push through on those ones where you're like you're seeing things paid off where i find that I run into motivation difficulties is when it gets to like your mortgage and things like that, where, you know, it's a much longer period and, you know, it's a much more drawn out thing. And, and I find it difficult to maintain the, the drive and that, that whole gazelle intense motivation, you know, in, in something like that. But I think we still need to be pushing towards getting out of debt. What, what emotions come to mind for you guys when you when you think of the the time when your house is paid for and you owe nobody you owe nothing what what emotions come to mind when you think of that yeah having no debt makes you it just makes you feel like freedom i think mm -hmm. like realizing you don't need to be paying someone you don't need to be de delivering that amount all the time to them yeah definitely peace sense of relief <laughs> yeah and so like even though we're we're in a place where it's not like you're you're feel like you're um just in total slavery there's still a master servant relationship there mm -hmm. you know even if you owe any money and and so i think god does want us to get to that point where we we are totally free to serve him with whatever and and i think that that can bring us even to to the next point of giving where if we're at a point where we don't owe anybody anything you can you can be extremely extremely generous yeah but until that point i think there's there's um limitations to how much we can give so yeah again we're not coming with all the answers and solutions but we're you know Hopefully this raises the, the, starts the conversation going and that I think a lot of people in our society today just assume that debt is unavoidable and is a normal part of life. 
but I don't think it has to be, right? And that's something that with the Lord's grace we can grow in as he provides. So talking about giving, principle number three, and I'm going to suggest that we need to have a system of giving in place. When it comes to our finances, a big part of acknowledging that we are not the ones who own it is giving to others. And so, you know, this is where we can talk about tithing. Um, and tithing is a big topic that we're not going to tackle in detail right now. But, you know, the Torah doesn't specifically command us to give 10% of our income to our local congregation or ministry, right? It's the tithe was something specific for the temple. You bring your, your animals, your produce there. So the idea that this is a Torah commandment that I need to bring a tenth of my income, my monetary income to my local congregation, that's not exactly accurate. But at the same time, I believe that 10% is a good rule of thumb. Yeah, well, we, we see that even as, as a, a picture in the Torah where, where Jacob, you know, makes a covenant with God. If, if you bring me back here and you'll be my God and I will give you a tenth of everything that I, that I have. Right. Right. There's, there's that principle that's sort of woven in there, even though there's not specifics that we can say, Hey, this is a hard, fast Torah rule. Yeah. Genesis twenty eight twenty two. So yeah, I think that definitely it's a, there's a precedent for 10% mm-hmm. and not that I think we should be limited to 10%. I think 10% is, should be like our baseline, right? I remember hearing some people who were against the idea of, you know, saying that tithing is something that we're supposed to give to our church. And they're like, well, no, that's not what the Bible says. And But then they kind of took it too far because they were saying how it's wrong to give 10%. You can give 11%, you can give 9%, but as soon as you get legalistic about it and you're giving 10% all the time, then you've got a problem. And I look back at that and I think the problem with that is if you don't have some sort of system in place, you're going to forget about it or you're going to compromise or you're going to, you're not going to be consistent, right? I think there's something about being consistent and having a system of giving in place that is important as a, a vivid reminder of the fact that we're not the owners of this money. We're just the stewards. Yeah, and giving sacrificially is really important, but giving sustainably as well is important. And I think in the Jewish world, you know, giving a tenth is recommended. And I think up to a 20th, is an option, but I think giving more than a 20th is like, sorry, not a 20th, but more, giving more than 20% is not really recommended because you also don't want someone to give beyond their means where they're losing out and they're not able to take care of themselves and their family. So I guess 10 to 20%-ish for people who are able to is sometimes recommended. And that can be helpful to actually have a number and say, yeah, I want to aim for that. I want to I want to aim for 10% or maybe I'm able to do 5% or 15%. Right. Well, and, and with that whole idea of, of giving beyond your means, it, it has a, it can have a detrimental effect where you're giving so much that you're in need of charity, which is sort of a 
kind of defeating the purpose as well, right? Like right. You're, you're giving to try and help the poor, not put yourself in the place of being poor and needing needing that help. Yeah. I think, too, it's important to keep in mind what giving is about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are perversions of that out there, right? And And maybe this comes with certain types of theologies. Like, I know that one thing that you hear from televangelists where they'll say, well, if you give a certain amount of money, then God's going to bless you with so much money in return. But that's not what the scripture says, right? Yeshua, when he talks about us giving, he says we're storing up treasure in heaven. When we're giving our money, it's not so that we can get more money back here in this life. It's like we are investing in treasures beyond this life, right? Our reward is not necessarily in this life, and I would say normally not in this life, but our reward is in the world to come. So definitely we should be giving sacrificially, but there is a point where you can go overboard to your own hurt, right? And like we talked about at the beginning, we have a responsibility to provide for our families, so these things have have to be held in balance. All right, so let's talk about principle number four, and that is save. All right, you know the saying, Jesus saves, so should we. <laughs> so I'm going to suggest that just like having a system in place for giving is important, we should also have a system in place for saving. Yes. So now here's a possible objection to the idea that we should be saving money you know well yeshua is going to come back within x number of years so i don't need to save up for retirement you know he's going to come back before i retire yeah that um that's a hard one because yes we're we're looking with anticipation to yeshua's return um but there we don't know when when that's going to be and you know Mm -hmm. like even like when the children of israel went into babylon you know and god's like this is going to be a while you should you know, work, you should marry, you should settle down, you know, it's, it's going to be a while. And yeah, we don't know when Yeshua's returning. And I think he, he's giving us um, the responsibility to, well, even in Proverbs, it talks about, you know, a, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Like that, yes, that's not only, that's not necessarily just financial, but definitely has a principle of that as well where you know hopefully you will have enough money saved up so that you are are not being dependent on other people all completely to uh to support you i remember hearing a story about this couple that um this was back in uh there is a a craze that went through where people were expecting yeshua to come back in 1988 uh there was a book 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988 or something like that. <laughs> and there is this couple that bought into that hardcore. And they were like, um, they decided, since this is this is true, Yeshua is coming back on, on this date. We're going to sell everything we have. We're going to give all our money to the poor uh, and, and or most of our money. And then we're going to live off of a little bit until that time and go and be missionaries and all this kind of stuff and and you know they had a good heart 
right? Mm-hmm. They they weren't trying to be frivolous. They weren't trying to be reckless in the way they they use their money. And they honestly thought they were doing God's will. But of course, as we know now, Yeshua did not come back in 1988, sadly. And they, this couple ended up having no retirement and it was really hard on their family. So yes, we should have this healthy expectation and anticipation for Yeshua's return, but we still have to plan and provide for our family, right? Yeah, for sure. And we don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know when Messiah is returning. Uh, I remember reading this story uh, from the first century about an elderly Jewish man who was planting a carob tree beside the road. And the Roman emperor was passing on the same road. And the emperor said, oh, foolish man, you're planting a tree that you're never going to eat the fruit of. And the elderly Jewish man said, I don't know if I'll ever eat it, but I'll know someone will eat from it. And sure enough, one year later, the elderly man comes into the palace with a bowl full of carob fruit. And the emperor remembers he's the same guy. And he says, wow, you have proven me wrong. And he enjoys the fruit. And the point of the story is, of course, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know the return of Messiah. We don't know the date. And we do need to think ahead about next year, about our children, about our grandchildren, and just plan wisely. And that includes saving as well. Well, even when we think of the story of Joseph in in Egypt, right? God gave him, or God gave Pharaoh a dream and, and Joseph was put in charge of of virtually saving and he saved the lives of all the people in the surrounding area because of his faithfulness in in managing and and saving that and so i think it's a very powerful principle that uh that's really we need to we need to pay attention to i remember hearing one person say once earn as much as you can give as much as you can and save as much as you can <laughs> That's a good pattern to follow. Okay, let's talk about principle number five, and that is living within your means. This really hinges on following the first two principles, right? Because if you're budgeting and if you avoid debt, then this is going to come naturally. You're going to be able to live within your means, right? So does this mean that you have to be really cheap and frugal all the time? (laughs) It means you can be if you, can, you want you can, to. You can be, <laughs> but even Paul, right? He, he talks about, I've known what it means to live in want and in plenty. And so if if God has entrusted you with l- more means, does that mean that you have to live extremely frugally? No, it, it means you don't have, it doesn't mean you have to. And sometimes in the religious world, we take this to an extreme where we, can live out of a guilt mentality that we believe we should live frugally and act frugally and sometimes we can really beat ourselves up over it and I see it in the religious world quite a bit and sometimes we carry this guilt around but I don't think God wants us to be overly focused on ourselves and that can be on the extreme of overspending or underspending and trying to find some kind of um, validation through that. Um, but there's just a healthy medium for each one of us where, you know, we're in a sweet spot where we're living within our means 
And maybe the tr- maybe the trick is just finding where is that for me. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the the statistics of the general populace. A lot, a large percentage of people spend more money than they earn. Absolutely. Which is scary to think about it, but it's true. That's why there's so much debt in in our society, right? And I remember, well, my wife and I once, we lived in this area that was close to this new development, and we would sometimes go for walks. And it, whenever we would walk around in this new development area, it had these really large houses and uh, triple car garages and things like that. And there was never anyone around. It was always quiet because everyone was so busy working to try and pay off this thing that they had purchased and all the all the debt that they had. And so it made us realize that a lot of those people are probably not practicing this concept of living within their means, right? And it makes you wonder too, are you even enjoying it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? If you, you have this big fancy house, but you're never home to enjoy it. So yeah, I know like even, even in my life, I know I've, I, I, I'm probably a recovering shopaholic. <laughs> um, it was definitely something that I struggled with, um, you know, when I was a young adult and, and I would use it for a lot of different things. I, I, really really liked having just different cool stuff to share with people and and uh I would often use it too as as a way of if I was having a bad day or something like that you'd just go and you'd buy something and all of a sudden your emotions would you'd feel good for a little while because it took it took the focus off of your anxiety or whatever it was but a lot of times I was also at that point in time, you know, finances were very tight. And so all of a sudden I'm spending this, which is making finances more tight. And it's taking you further and further down this hole, which is actually the opposite of what the piece that I was looking for. But, but I'd go anyways, right? And often it was, you know, I would do it very frugally. I'd go to, you know, use stores or things like that. But it was definitely still that I was trying to almost self-medicate with whatever I was feeling and and trying to, you know, just get the next shiny thing that kept me going. So I totally get the <laughs> the mentality and the mindset but coming sort of out of that and i find now that i i don't i just go shopping a whole lot less than i used to even though i technically probably could buy more but i just have found that it that's that's not getting me what i actually desired and it was counterproductive to actually the direction that I was feeling, you know, providing for my family, paying off debt, you know, some of those things, it was, it was detracting from that. And I realized that I get a lot more satisfaction from being able to pay off debt or save than I did from buying these little things that, 
you know, in a few years, all of a sudden I was like, oh, what did I spend all this money on? And you end up either giving it away or selling it for, <laughs> you know, way less than what you paid for it or whatever. But it, uh, it's just, it's a really hard cycle to break, but it, uh, it's not helping you. Yep. Paul talks about godliness with contentment. First mm. Timothy 6, 5 to 10. That, that principle of contentment, I think, is a big thing. That we don't do well in North America. Right. <laughs> we do very poorly. Our society is built off of a lack of contentment. Well, yeah, it, advertising everything, right? It's, yeah. it's designed to make you discontent with what you have. Yeah, <clears throat> just talking about shopping, Chris, as well. Um, it can be really easy to try to find life and fulfillment through something outside of God. And sometimes that can come up in shopping. I mean, maybe we're looking for a rush, maybe we're looking for peace, and sometimes spending or getting a new gadget can sometimes fill a bit of that hole that we want to fill sometimes temporarily. And I guess that equates to idolatry, and it's really easy to fall into as well, um, trying to find some kind of peace outside of God, and that does connect into finances a lot as well. Yeah. And God really does want the throne of our hearts, and he doesn't want us to be running to anything else, money included, to find the peace, to find the joy, to find the approval that only comes from him. And sometimes we want to be we want to find that approval from others, from God himself, um, in the wrong ways. And I think God is just inviting us, saying, like, I love you. You're a new creation. I approve of you. And there's no striving there. And that ties into finances, too. We can approach finances through God's kingdom peace. And that can change the whole way we look at finances. Amen. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up our conversation for this time. Uh, the Discipleship Discussion podcast is brought to you by Segula.net. Our goal is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature messianic Torah movement and to deal with issues that affect our everyday lives as disciples of Yeshua. If you have suggestions for topics that we should discuss on this show, send us an email at feedback at Segula.net. Whether you're Messianic, Christian, Torah-observant, Hebrew roots, or whatever lingo you prefer, we hope this conversation has been a blessing to you, and together, may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.